need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast for myself and Eric. Hey, go through every. Uh, there he is. He's over there. Um, we go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order, and we do it every other Wednesday. And uh, we are trucking right along. Uh, this is episode four, and we watch Sugarland Express from 1974, starring Goldie Hawn. And that's it. And um, that's it. Well, there's other great performances here. Um, I just never heard of any of these other people. Well, right right off the bat, did you clock who the husband was without looking it up? Because I, no. I was I was sitting there debating the entire time. Is that the guy? Is that the guy? And finally, like two thirds of the way through the movie, I, I realized, yeah, that that's the guy. And uh and and then I looked it up and I was right. He is uh, Walter Peck from Ghostbusters. Oh, this man has he's no been dick. In a lot. Real genius. Die Hard. Die Hard. Yeah, he was the reporter who goes to John McClane's kids in Die Hard and interviews them and busts oh, wow. uh, busts Holly Gennaro. You know, so they we'll figure to, out who she is. Do Val Kilmer chronologically sometimes so we can watch Real Genius. I love Val <laughs> Kilmer. He's awesome. Okay. Um, no, I did not catch that. Uh, mostly because I think I'm Ghostbusters is kind of lost on me. I'm not a, I don't have any problems with. It. I'm not like, oh gosh, it's crap. I just it didn't. I didn't watch it in the right era of my life. I think where, even though I love Harold Ramis and uh, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and Ernie Hudson, I love them on their own. <laughs> you know, but it yeah. just. I, I just didn't watch it in the right era, I think. And the same goes for Star Wars. People love it. I've seen it. I think I would just miss the mark of when it would have made a deep impression on me. Yeah, it happens. It happens. If you if you try to go back and catch something, my wife and I play this Does It Hold Up game where we show each other movies where that we watched when we were kids. And, yeah. uh, and it does it hold up. Uh, Robin Hood, Princess Lee, Thieves does not hold up. Dracula Dead yeah. Loving It really doesn't hold up. So <laughs> Yeah. And I love Leslie Nielsen. Oh, he's the best. But anyway, we're getting off track. It's early uh, in the episode to be doing that. So uh, this is based on a true story. And I was just telling Eric before we, we started recording that I, I, I meant to look up some of the true story. And I actually had the article saved on my phone. I didn't want to read it yet until I actually finished the film because I didn't want any spoilers. And then I just recorded a, a different episode of another podcast instead it it happens so i i'm familiar enough with the true story i don't have the names handy of the real people that but uh i'm familiar enough that after we after we kind of talk through what happens in this film i can go back and kind of fill in what happened in in the true story uh some some very striking similarities and then obviously some some pretty big differences but now i were uh, sorry um no, go ahead I received some criticism 
from my podcasting partner over at the Movie Draft House. He said, can I give you constructive criticism about Spielberg chronologically? I said, sure. Is he going to say, don't go through every single beat of the movie when you're talking about it? No, no, because we've done that. (laughs) He'd be hypocritical to say that. But what he did say was, Jeff, I just felt like you were lacking energy. And I told him, I said, okay, there's probably a couple reasons. One, the early ones, they're not either bad enough or good enough to really... Get excited kind of about? The, yeah, yeah, to just be, oh, God, that was garbage. Oh, it was great. I, the other thing is, uh, Eric and I have recorded, combined probably six episodes of podcasts. And I've probably got a hundred with Mark. And uh, I'm comfortable, so, super comfortable with him. I could just, I know what I could do and not do and all that stuff. I said, just give it time. And I said, when we get the hook, I'm going to ruin Eric's career. Um, I'm going to end his whole career as they say in that meme. So just be patient, but it's okay to have something different. You know, it's okay to be civil. Yeah. That's coming from me. Is he he looking for fights? Is he looking for fights? No. Like, do you want to fight about Goldie Hawn? We can fight. Like, no, unless you didn't think. Okay. Well, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see what happens here. Uh, so this, um, movie starts off, uh, with Goldie Hawn. Okay, in a very, this first shot, I wrote down, the first shot is very Hitchcock. There's no music playing. It zooms out of a sign and then kind of zooms in on this wreck. And it just, it reminded me of like scenes in North by Northwest. Um, Not really anything else to say about that because it's a sign of a street. But they go to what I would think is the lowest security prison or holding facility I've ever seen in the history of all prisons, right? Like, like I don't, it's about a summer camp. Like (laughs) it is a park. It is a park. You can go to with a fence around it that comes up to just below chest height. Now they say that this is a pre-release facility. So I'm, but he has four months left. He has four months left. So he's done his hard time. And then, but they, I'm thinking if you're at a facility where you could pretty much just walk out at your will, which he does, where families are picnicking, he basically does. There's families families picnicking around, right? There, you hear babies crying in the background. He even's like, "Hey, kids are welcome here." Around convicted criminals. Now, I don't know what he was like. Bank robbery, like nonviolent robbery, is kind of what he was in for. But I was like, this can't really exist. I, it, does it, this really exist? It does really exist because they filmed it at a real one. That's a real. Wow. So they, oh. they went into a real pre-release facility and and filmed it there um, uh, on site with, I think, a bunch of pre-release felons. I, I think. like Incredible. A lot of the smaller parts in this film are are played by locals and people who are really there. You know, this guy really works at this store. So I'm assuming, you know, maybe some of these people are, are actually in this pre-release facility. But I also got the impression that it was for basically nonviolent criminals. You know, it have to be a yeah. transition, you know, place. Not quite but a halfway house. I still think house, it was but... four months it's like a long time for like if you had a month left, a couple of weeks, I could see you being at this ultra low security. This is like the honor system of jails. Absolutely. Yeah. And well, I mean, it's Texas. Texas is weird. They've got their own thing going on down there. But I thought that they would be more. I, I mean, just and this is me assuming that they would be more into like big 
buildings. They seem to like walls down there, not to get political. <laughs> but I, I just thought that they would be way more aggressive about keeping criminals in. But I don't know. Well, clearly not. And, and you know, this was the 1970s as well. So I don't know. There were a bunch of violent criminals back in the 70s. I don't want to like sugarcoat it. Some but- of them will show up later in the movie as it's trying to stop our our leads um oh god yeah okay so basically goldie hawn is showing up there and it's family visit day so she comes ostensibly for for a picnic you know she's gonna Mm -hmm. like see her husband who is you know in jail for another four months so she gets there and she basically tells him well first of all goldie hawn super young very cute yeah did have never yeah. I've never seen her in a part when she was like this young. Um so it, it was just interesting to see her, you know, when yeah. she was twenty two or however old she was when she filmed this. Um so anyhow, she gets there and she tells her husband, Hey, look, I was doing my time too, so she is also a convicted criminal. I got out and I went to go get the baby and the authority said, I can't have the baby. They're giving him up for, for to foster care. I, I'm not allowed to have him anymore. We got to go. We got to go get the baby. And the husband says, what are you talking about? I only got four months left. Right. Like, like why, <laughs> why would I leave now? And she says, hey, look, if you don't come with me, we're done. This is it. It's over because we got to go get the baby. This is our baby. We got to go. And she takes him into the bathroom and she starts pulling her clothes off. And here she's worn two layers of clothes a layer for him and a layer for her. And he's thinking he's about to get a conjugal visit. Yeah. Is how it starts off. And, and even he gets, I he think, gets an outfit. <laughs> yeah. He gets an outfit instead. So I, I uh, <laughs> this is the best breakout I've ever seen. I, I, they literally walk through an open gate and it's not even, there's not even doors on the gate. There's not even a guy managing the gate no nobody's nobody's (laughs) like got a list or anything like keeping track of who came in and who went out so they it was harder for goldie hawn to get into the facility than it was for the criminal to leave and i'm not being sarcastic in any way she had to check all her bags and go through and register and they said who are you here to see but to leave there's the exit just head on out and there's a guy who I I think is trying to help out Clovis. Clovis is the husband's name. And he's trying to say, dude, you got four months left. You can't like, don't do this now. He even tries to sell him out and uh, Goldie Hunt kisses him. And that, I guess, befuddles him into stupidity. (laughs) So they leave and they get out. And the guy who was trying to, the, the befuddled guy, his parents are there and they're leaving also. And so Goldie Hawn and, and, and Clovis, uh, catch a ride with with the parents and they just say hey where are you going we're going there too can you know can we uh can we yeah so this is not only did you try to stop him from escaping now he's looking at like where are they going with my parents right (laughs) what the the hell and these parents are amazing i i there are so many i want to say intentionally funny moments in this movie because i there were several moments where i laughed out loud and these parents are a great big part of it they, they are, hit the road. They are super, super Texas uh, in this, like, clunkety old car. You know, it's just... It's smoking. It's knocking. The yeah. motor is knocking. Uh, go back to the dual episode. And 
he like it's and there's a huge trail of cars behind them and it's smoking into the cars they cut to the inside of the vehicle the dad the grandpa has turned around while driving he is straight up looking behind him while driving he is not looking at the road and he's having conversations with goldie hahn and her husband it's hilarious i uh, i loved it yeah it's a really good segment so so there is also, you know, we cut to a, a state patrol guy, a highway patrol guy, and he's got somebody that he's arrested for a DUI in the back of his car. And they're yeah, kinda, he's funny, too. Yeah, he is pretty funny. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> so they're kind of chattering along, and they come up to the, the end of this line of cars behind the old people and the escaped criminals. And... So, like, cars are kind of, like, zipping around them, you know, like, pulling off to the side of the road to get around this this beat-up old car. And so, essentially, the, the state highway patrolman ends up directly behind them, and they're going, like, no miles per hour, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they're going, like, 15 miles, 20 miles an hour on the highway. So, he pulls them over. So, the old folks get out of the car to deal with the the highway patrolmen and and basically you know give them a bunch of guff for pulling them over for going too slow, yeah. and Goldie Hawn and Clovis feel like they're being pulled over because they they could have just chilled. They could have just chilled. Been fine. Yeah. Yeah. But they do not chill because because I would doubt that this the that the 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 facility they escaped even know they're gone yet. No, just exactly. Judging on what we're seeing. Yeah, they have no idea that this guy even left. But Lugine, Lugine, who's Goldie Hawn's character, she has no chill. She has zero chill. None. And so she goes, like, hopping over the seat into the driver's seat and just takes off in this beat-ass car uh, running away from the police. Knocking the whole time they're driving. And I... (laughs) That she also, despite having no chill, she also is extremely optimistic that they're going to be able to get away with kidnapping a kid from the state. Get, get away then, with all this, like the entire movie. Everything. The entire movie, she never loses her optimism. Like she just, yeah. she feels the entire time like we're good. We got this. You know, when, when, you know, very quickly into the film, it becomes clear they don't got this. Yeah, they don't have anything. <laughs> and Clovis, Clovis is really smart. He's like trying to be reasonable, you know, and, but, uh, you know, Goldie Hawn, <laughs> it's got him. You know, where she wants them. Uh, Well, they go in a chase with this police officer, leaving our old couple by the side of the road, who I'm going to assume are still there. Yeah, a few a few people <laughs> check in with them occasionally throughout the movie. And but they, they drive just, off again. Just tell them to stay put, the, and they leave them there. So, yeah. I, yeah I, another cop comes in. He's like, what's your name? Okay, you guys just stay put. And he zips off again. And this, there's a great line where they show the old couple on the side of the road. And she's like tired and wants to sit down. And he says, sit down on your fist and lean back on your thumb. I thought that was a great insult from a really <laughs> old man. I don't know what it means, but it's good. Yeah. I'm assuming there's just a couple of skeletons there leaning against each other in the dust now because uh, they, yeah. they, they never got anywhere. And they so, didn't have the benefit of Uber. A short, very slow chase ensues. Because the guy, you know, the cop was like, what what the hell is this? And he jumps in his car and, and follows them. And, uh, you know, she's driving 
Clovis is screaming at her to let him drive. She's flipping and flopping all over the road, you know, and skidding out and stuff. And eventually loses control and goes down a little embankment and hits a tree. And yeah. that's the end of the old people's car. So I, I believe the true victims of the film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she gets out and is kind of stunned, and Clovis is in the car, kind of passed out or knocked out. No, flip it. Flip it. He, Clovis he gets, gets out. Gets That's out. what it is. Yes, yes. He yes, sits yes. like on a hill, and in the driver's seat, Goldie Hawn is passed out. So our police officers like, you just stay there. He goes to check on Goldie Hawn. Right, are right. You okay? Can are you, you hear okay? Me? Can you feel this? Da, 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 da. So while he's trying to tend to her first aid wise, like a decent human being, she unbuckles his holster and pulls his gun out. And uh, biggity boom, biggity bam. The state patrolman is now a kidnap victim. Yeah. And uh, our state patrolman is played by Michael Sachs, who uh, I don't know. What else did this guy do? Uh, nothing of note, it looks like. Uh, he's great. Um, th- like the So we have, these are our main players, right? There's four main players. We got Goldie Hawn's Lugene, uh, Clovis played by William Atherton, and uh, Michael Sachs playing Slide, and then there's the captain who comes in later. But we spend the bulk of the movie with these three and they develop a tremendous level of chemistry where um, you just start rooting for them. And I think it benefits the film so much that they are able to seem like good friends by the end of this. Absolutely. And they're, they, I mean, they're basically, you know, three, three pieces of the spectrum of reasonable behavior, right? Like this is the, the state trooper is the most reasonable Clovis is kind of in the middle there. Like, he could tip either way. His needles kind of slides to one side or the other throughout the film. And then uh, Lugene is, like, way the hell off on the other end of the spectrum. Like, completely unreasonable. (laughs) Like, just... She's out of control. She's out of control. Yeah. They are now approached by the chief. They find out, I can't remember exactly how, but through a series of events that their officer has been kidnapped and... They, the chief comes and pulls up next to him. And this movie is shot in such a cool way. There's so many scenes from inside the car that, so this is a scene where they're talking on the radio between uh, our main police car, which has our trio and the captain. And the captain is in another car beside them as they're driving down the highway. And the scene is shot from inside the car with Clovis and Lou Jean and the police officer looking out and it the car moves around and the camera pans to them and keeps an eye on them. It's just such a cool way to be part of the group and see what they're seeing. I, I just really liked how that was shot. And there's tons of stuff like that in this movie. Yeah, I guess this is the first time Panavision, uh, they had this camera that they had developed and this was the first film that they allowed anybody to use it on. And so Spielberg used it for the interior of the car and it allowed him to take like 360 degree shots. Like he could swivel through the entire car and, and uh, you know, go go in a full circle, you know, to check on all the characters in a single shot. And, and the whole the whole film in many ways reminded like this is where he is using the lessons that he learned on duel, you know, like, yeah. like all of this is practical. There's no green screen. Again, it's full of those awesome shots where the, the camera like slides around the outside of the car and, and uh, you know, kind of whips around other cars and it's really, really cool. 
Like the yeah, camera. And there's work a lot of scenes where stuntmen almost die. Um, well, yeah, we got to talk about that one stunt. You know the yep, one I'm talking. You know which about. one I'm talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> you know which one. Oh, it's good though. Um, so that scene's awesome. They go now. So at this point now, they're being trailed by the entire state police. I think it it, um, it builds up very quickly, and and a lot of nothing happens for a while. And like it's uh, it's okay because it's basically kind of just yeah. builds the fact. That more as they're traveling through Texas at not a very high rate of speed, they're going to Sugarland to get their baby. They make no bones about telling everybody where they're going and what they're doing. And so the the captain, who is, you know, our guy, our our state troopers boss, is like the lead guy in in trailing them in this chase, if you will. It's a very OJ Simpson slow speed, you know, a million cops. And more and more as they travel on, more and more cops and news reporters and Oh it's, yeah. It's a parade. Like it just starts this parade. And then like through Texas. Louisiana police? They just I don't even did they get involved in any way? I can't remember. They show up but and they, cause a crash. They cause a big crash because, They cause a crash. Okay, because yeah. they just decide you want to go? Sure, it's not in our jurisdiction. Who cares? And they just go to, and then they're like on the radio to each other while they're driving down the. They're they're the worst kind of police. They're the ones that get people killed. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> just but they're so out of their brains. And so they stop at a gas station. I like to see because the gas station attendant fills them up, gets them you know what they need, and then they take off without paying them. And he's like, talk to the chief. But then all of them, the police kind of park at once and like, we got to fill up too. And I love that scene because I'm like, yeah, they've been following them this whole time. And it's kind of one of those things where you never think when you're watching these pursuit movies, I've never, ever thought of, hey, the guy in pursuit needs gas too. Yeah. It's always the lead. And so when they all... All of them, all of the police pull up and start filling up. And the guy's like, hey, who's paying for this? Hey, what's going on? He's like, talk to the chief. And he can't find the chief. (laughs) Uh, I loved that scene. And then they're like, the news camera comes up and he immediately perks up the guy, the the proprietor of this gas station. He's like, did you know that was a convicted felon? He's like, oh, no, I didn't. Did you serve them gas? Sure did. Uh, Great scene. (laughs) The the film really takes its time to pay attention to the practicalities of what it would be like to be in one of these chases like they have to stop for gas they have to stop to use the restroom they have to stop to eat they get tired and it actually allows them space to go to sleep at at a certain point they figure out how to sleep you know how to stop in the middle of of the chase and it's it's interesting because most movies like this would portray it as just one long car trip, but this movie actually takes the time to stop and say, "Hey, wait, these are human beings in there. They're gonna have to stop. Like, they're not gonna be able to drive for twenty four hours straight, you know, to get to get to the baby." So, um, a lot of the episodic nature of the film is these various points where like they have needs that they have to fulfill, you know, like they've got to yeah. eat. So they, they're going to stop and get chicken and nobody is going to like try to take them out. Oh, the chicken joint. I wanted the chicken. I was so ready to have whatever chicken came out of there. It looked good. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I was like, they were, yeah. It was like, Oh, this looks like some Southern fried chicken right here. <laughs> like, yeah, look good. Get some of that. Look good. Um, um 
it, so now we got my next note is I got to pee. So that leads us to um, at now there we were. Oh, they're at the gas station still. Right. And Clovis is like, go do what you need to do. You know, you're going to need to do it. Talking to um, Goldie Hawn's character. And of course, we all go to the bathroom. We're at the gas station. She's like, no, I don't need to go. And then they start. And this is any parent knows this feeling. You pull out. You start driving down the road. Five minutes. I got to pee. You're like, bruh, we're just at the gas station. Yeah. <laughs> like, like in this situation, she could have just gotten out and gone to the bathroom. Nobody is going to mess with her because they still have the leverage of having right. a hostage. It's like in Dog Day Afternoon where Al Pacino comes out of the bank and like talks to the reporters. Oh, they, great film. They yeah. got the hostages in there. Nobody's going to mess with them. So she could have just gotten out and gone to the restroom and no muss, no fuss. And then he could have taken a turn too, you know, but- that is not how it plays out. Uh, yeah, they get and, back on and the road, Captain, and then Captain Tanner, had the 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 boss of the police officer, he's very much a peace officer. He does he he even states at one point he's never had to kill anyone uh, in his however many years, and he wants to keep it that way. Uh, we get that because they park later on after having their chicken. They they get their chicken. And now they, is this after the pee? It is after the pee, but we can talk about it because it's it's important and it doesn't really matter the order of what happens here right like you said it's pretty episodic so they they get their chicken and they're parked and they're all eating it and they're all laying down low right because they don't want to be shot and uh this is the first scene where you really start the 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 resolve of our police guy starts to break a bit and he starts to befriend uh his cat is what do you call him what's the opposite of a captor kidnappers uh yeah yeah whoever yeah they he because he, they're like hey you want some chicken he's like no i don't want any chicken and he's like well maybe maybe just one piece of chicken <laughs> a little and stockholm syndrome they, kicking in here yeah yeah and so uh, this is interesting about stockholm syndrome to me and is how much of it and i i definitely believe there's something where someone can be totally just maybe i don't believe it. i don't know because there's I think sometimes in there's a point where maybe if you're seeing the point and the perspective of the people you're with, the people who've captured. So like in this scene, you know, they're just trying to get their child and he maybe starts to come around to get that. Like if I had a kid, would I do that? You know, like how much of Stockholm syndrome is that? You know what I mean? Uh, oh, I think it's a hundred percent based on your level of empathy as a human being. Like, yeah. like I, I am a very high empathy person always have been. And so I always end up putting myself in the shoes of other people, regardless of the situation. So in, in a case like this, I'd a hundred percent be on board. I'd be like, let's go get Especially the baby, the, you know, <laughs> right after they gave me fried chicken. <laughs> you kidding me? Um, so, but when when they they're get, doing the chicken while they're while they're eating the chicken, uh, there there's a, a moment outside where the cops have brought in these two Texas Rangers, and they're snipers. They're snipers, and they are kind of off in the distance because they're in like a church parking lot or something, and they uh, they line up the shot, and they now did you notice? I don't know why they do this, and someone might be able to explain it to me. They lick both of them, like put the bullet in their mouth. They go and lick it and then stick it in their ears. I Maybe 
because the deafening sound of this shot? I don't know. But those are real. But you'd think. They're real Texas Ranger snipers. Again, they used real people in the film. Those two guys are real, real guys. So I would assume that oh, is really? something that they really do. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I, it just seemed weird to me. Why wouldn't you have earplugs? But I guess if you're a man in Texas, you stick bullets in your ears. It could just be that. It could just be being a man in Texas. I don't know. Man. Well, before they get the chance to snipe, our good old captain says, hey, uh, like I said, uh, he's never had to see kill anybody in his years. He's going to keep it that way. Uh, and so you really do. The captain is another like this is one thing I like about the movie is both sides are you like them. You get it. You know, there's party that's rooting for them to get to the baby. But is the baby really going to be safe in there? <laughs> that's a question. I mean, that's, really? a, that's a question for later. And I'm going to present that yeah. question uh, when we get to the end of the recap. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, the captain decides not to take the shot. So sorry, fellas. I appreciate you being here. We're not going to take the shot. So they finish the chicken. They come back later. Don't worry. Yeah, they come back later. Sticking bullets in their ears. The, the pee situation is interesting because they... The police arranged to have a porta potty brought in on a trailer. And this is where Clovis really shows how wily he is. You know, like he's uh, he's got kind of this like ground level street smarts about him. Yeah. Where he yep. sees That's things. That's a perfect way to put it. He sees things coming. And so they have the trailer hooked up to a truck. And his first th- thought is unhook that. Like, you're not going to get my wife in this trailer and then just take off with her in the porta potty. So he makes him unhook it. And then, you know, she starts walking out and he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And so he goes out there and he says, he starts hollering at the porta potty, like, I'm going to shoot this shotgun at that porta potty. I'm shooting this shotgun at that porta potty at the count of three. And the door opens and there's a cop in there. So they had had yep. some genius. They had had a plan to, uh, you know, I don't know, overwhelm one of them or something. I don't know what the plan was. But essentially, Clovis, Clovis, you know, his hackles get up and he realizes that there's something up and so then they're able to go ahead and use the restroom and uh, get on with the rest of their trip yeah i don't know why i mean in this situation and i'm not a woman but you think maybe you just go ahead and squat yeah do you need a porta potty you got the doors your husband's there you keep the other guy to, i don't know maybe that's just me i mean being a guy who could do it standing up Obviously, it's no big deal. Just wondering. Yeah, don't that know. That was my thought. Could, could be a privacy Why do we issue. need to have a porter potty delivered? Like, can she hold it that long for them to organize a porty po- porta potty delivery? Well, at this point, I'm, it's a big operation. Like, at this point, they've got yeah. resources <laughs> to, to, okay. to deal with the situation. They got the state of Texas behind Pretty them. soon, pretty soon, there's a helicopter, you know, like, like it just keeps swelling and swelling in scope, uh, the situation. So I think the the next probably most important piece is when they go to sleep. And I forget exactly how they lose. Oh, this is where the Louisiana guys come into play. Oh, okay, there you go. The Thank Louisiana you. guys are coming the opposite way on the road. And, Maniacs. And it's, it's dark and whatever. People kind of lose their shit for a minute. And the Louisiana guys crash into the line of cars, which then leads to just one after the other hitting the one in front of them. Boom, 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 boom. And they all pile up. Lugene and Clovis get a little bit of maneuvering space. They, they've lost the line of cars for a few minutes. So ingeniously, they go to a used car lot and 
just grab some signs like for sale signs off of the other cars and stick them on the police car and just camouflage themselves and also on the used car lot there gotta think that's clovis's idea there's a big rv and they yeah that's gotta be clovis they uh break into the rv and all of a sudden now they've got a good place to sleep for the night so they settle the cop in the back seat of the car <laughs> settle with, him with this a, poor guy with the blankets blankets and some handcuffs they leave him back he's there. handcuffed in the back and he's not on the, the like a bench seat in the back you know like some older cars or even modern cars they have a bench seat right that it's one complete cushion from door to door and that's you could you could get some z's on that you wouldn't be comfortable but you can make it he's laying on the floor and any <laughs> you know there's a hump right in the middle where the drive shaft goes there's a hump there he's in and for he a has bad to night. sleep on that with his hand handcuffed behind him his head is against the door and it's like propped up he's gonna wake up with a wicked like just cramping his neck this poor dude so lugene and clovis end up in the rv where they have it actually a nice evening there's a, a drive-in next door and showing just looney tunes which is the dream <laughs> right exactly so they watch looney tunes through the window and uh have a little bit of private time you know as a couple and uh so this is where where things start to kind of go off the rails for them as well because when they wake up in the morning, there are some these maniacs. There are some good old There's, boys. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And what what did the license plate say? Um, not the license plate. They had a bumper sticker on there. Oh, it was like and, it's oh shit you would see right now. You'll pry my guns yeah. out of my cold dead hands or some stuff like that. Like, well, it was like um, capture communist, not guns or something. Yeah, like yeah it was. It was like very much like something that would still be in play today uh you know it, it was it's funny you know it's really interesting watching these older spielberg films or older movies in general because you really see the commonalities between 50 years ago and now there's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of things that were going on culturally culturally back then that are still like super relevant today and uh these guys really brought it home so essentially they have taken it upon themselves to deputize themselves and go yeah. out and look for Lugene and Clovis. Because at this point, there's a lot of hoopla. Like, everybody in the state knows who these people are, and they also know that they've lost the cops. And so these guys are going out, and they're looking for them, and they're just driving around looking for these two. And uh, I forget exactly what they... Is it the cop car that they spot, or do they see... Do they no, actually they see, see them? Luann. And it's not even the... So there's three people in this car. There's a dad, I'm guessing, an older son, and a much younger son. Um, That's my guess, anyway. Yeah. And the younger son, Dad, they're over there. And they're like, oh, bye. And they pull over, and they get their guns out. And they just start opening fire. Man, they mess up this used car lot. Like... The, the they thousands of dollars in kill, damage they do they're shooting they at, shoot the cop. at the cop <laughs> they're shooting at everybody they're just blowing the place up and uh so luann and uh clovis start shooting back you know and it turns into an all-out gunfight and the cop is you know speaking of looney tunes just kind of like like ducking between cars <laughs> like trying to get away he and, is also yeah trying to use this as a chance to get away from luann and um Lugene and, and, and Clovis. Yeah. So unsuccessful. Yeah. 
So uh, uh, lots of shooting, lots of exploding glass and, and you know, flipping out and so on. And uh, how does this resolve? They essentially, I, I want to say they kind of get into the middle of the car lot where it's safe and then the actual police show up. That was it. Yeah. And they, they're like, hey, we got them for you. They're pinned down in here. And the uh, Captain Tanner takes away their weapons. It's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. Because um, they don't follow any police protocol. They just start shooting. They did bow, bow, bow. And they have a negotiation between Captain Tanner and uh, Clovis and Slide, who's, again, the police officer, saying, hey, you know, Essentially, now Captain Tanner is like, we've, uh, they kind of did messed up in a lot of ways. <laughs> Not really them, but they now have been fired at. So there's a little sympathy there. He's like, listen, just get us. They make a deal where it's like, we're not going to speed off. You know, we're not going to endanger anyone. Just get us there. And that's kind of where they come to, okay, we'll get you there. Yeah, all, all sides basically agree that it's in everybody's best interest, like since things escalated this much, to just take it slow and easy, have the parade, and get to the baby. So, Speaking of parade. A few times during this, they also kind of flash over to the baby's foster parents and what's going on there. And uh, I have some, some questions to present about that a little later, but it's just kind of important to note that it's an older couple, uh, very, uh, I don't know, it, it, an interesting dynamic with them and this little boy uh, who's, yeah. who's maybe like 18 months old. And um, the reporters come to talk to them and eventually uh, the police show up there as well. And, and start talking to them about what's going to happen when Luann and Clovis show up. So yeah. the parade starts up is, again. Go ahead. I think this is where they go through town. Yep, this is where they go through town. So they start hitting they these, get on the radio. Start Captain's hitting these small like, towns. Hey, we're hearing that there's a lot of people in this next town. Give us a chance to find a detour. And, of course, Lugene's like, no, I want to go to town. And so Clovis is like, all right. They all agree, including the police officer. Let's go to town. The, the our uh, our police officer friend has is really starting to turn the corner here. I don't think he ever he. I think he just wants things resolved peacefully. He's not on their side in the sense of let's get you your baby, but he's very much like I don't want you guys to get killed doing this. Yeah, at this point. he's always tried to talk sense to them, but now he's definitely empathizing with them in general and just yeah doesn't want them to get hurt. So before they've yeah. gone into this town, like as they've gone along the road, more and more people have been showing up at the roadside with like signs and, you know, we love you guys. We're rooting for you. Get your baby back, you know, so on and so forth. But when would they hit this town? It is really something else. There is they've come. They've yeah, they, they have arrived. The, there's a marching band. <laughs> driving through our police officer friend is is kissing every girl along the way there's carnival they, rides in the background it's like yeah. they got like the hot buttered corn stands out you know like it is it is the fourth of july plus you know like, i'm pretty sure that party. town still celebrates this to that to this day <laughs> they got just murals every on the year walls of the diner you know of luann and clovis they have people dress up they drive the cars through you know it was a good time 
Yeah, so uh, I like this scene. This is a great it's scene. Fun. It is a great scene, and it's very fun. Uh, like people are like shoving gifts through. You know, here's some stuff for your baby. One person gives Lugene a pig, and uh, a, a oh, baby. And it's paying on me. <laughs> and did I thought, and I, I don't know, but I felt like that might have happened. It did happen. Yeah, I looked it. It up. did. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. it felt so real, like not that she's a bad actor, but there, that moment was so well acted in quotes that I was like, "That pig's peeing. On her. <laughs> <laughs> it's peeing on me." So that's awesome. The, the this town is essentially the last stop before they get to Sugarland, where the baby is. Yeah. And, now and, we get. Go ahead. I Sorry, was just going to say it's it's a big it's a big whoop up and. At Sugarland, outside of the foster parents' house, there's another big crowd. Mm-hmm. And the police come out and they say, oh, hey, everybody, we're actually, we've told them to meet us at the courthouse. And so by saying that, the crowd's like, oh, we're all going to the courthouse. And they all shift away from the house. And the police do this because inside the house are the two Texas Rangers. And yeah, they, and they moved the baby to the courthouse to be safe. Yeah. These but guys before are we get, so that's shot. them setting up, but we get something very special before this. They're driving down the road and the news truck zips up to the side of our trio. Oh I God. love oh this scene. God. Before we get to the stunt, the stunt is crazy, but there's a tremendous line, a great piece of writing or possibly even improv. They have a microphone on a stick that they hold out and ask questions to Clovis. And uh, Lou Jean's like, ask me some questions. But they're asked the officer, how you doing in there? Is everything okay? And the officer goes, yeah, I practically got him rehabilitated. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. But this pisses off. Remember our, our peace officer who, who has never killed anyone in the line of duty? He decides that's enough of this. He shoots the tires out of this news truck and it topples into a puddle. There are four, five people on top of this news truck. They're like standing on the roof of the truck. Surfing the truck. Yeah. As it crashes and tips over, one guy dives off early. Just microseconds. And had he gone any earlier, I don't think he'd be walking this earth anymore because... (laughs) He, that truck tips, and I swear, he almost gets crushed by it. It's a crazy stunt. And the rest of the guys end up in this mud puddle. It It is it is possibly, like, I'm having a hard time thinking of another, like, practical stunt that I've seen in a movie that was this dangerous. Like, I can't believe they did this. Like, it is one of the most, (laughs) it is a jaw-dropping stunt. Like, just to have this little moment in the movie, like, I'm thinking of, like, kung fu movies with people falling off of buildings and stuff. Like, have you ever seen Chocolate, the one where they have those big fights? Oh, it's amazing. But, like, that's the level that this is at, where they're just, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy that they did this. Uh, I backed it up. I was like, whoa, 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 because... I, I'm like, I was just backing up to make sure no one got killed. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I counted the people. They're all awake and alive. But it was just like, whoa. And and I think there was a lot of stuff in Duel that was where I had to back it up. Uh, you know, the snake bite, the running over the phone booth. And uh, obviously the, the truck 
at the end where they had to dive out of the cars. And I'm like, I kind of like this sort of wild west of stunts. Yeah, you know? this is like, something that would never happen now. Like they would. I'm like, I don't think do it's worth stunt. it. You know, but there's something about it that I'm like, film like. It's crazy that a filmmaker would be like, here, almost die for me. Yeah, okay, this speaks this to the fact that Steven Spielberg was 26 years old when they made this. Because he'd be like, come on, guys, we can do it. We got it. Come on, yeah. guys. It's no Listen, problem. It's fine. Yeah, that right. rattlesnake's not going to bite you. We figured it out. <laughs> Insane. Insane. So the next, the next big bit is basically uh, them pulling up in front of the, the foster parents' house. The crowd is gone. It's just them. And the cop is just not having it. Like he knows he He uses police logic. He's like, look, this isn't right. And they look around. There's no one here. Why is no one here? He makes them circle the house a couple times. He's like, you just don't stop. This isn't like, this isn't the way to go. And and Clovis at this point, is kind of like, I don't, this isn't, going to work out for us you know this doesn't I think it's feel that right perfect contrast to what you were saying where he he can be reasonable but what Lou Jean says goes yeah it, for Clovis and he know like he knows he's got those street smarts you know it's the same the mm-hmm. same intuition that kept him from letting her get into that porta potty is kicking in now but Lou Jean's her she puts her foot down they are here they are gonna get this baby and so Clovis gets out he starts walking towards the house and the rangers take the shot and he I I thought he was dead on the spot he is not um the next the next scene is Clovis driving them away uh and and they're taken off again and the big uh the final chase ensues um kind of off into uh I don't know the badlands of Texas, it looks like, you know. Yeah. It, it's so like that you find out that their plan is to try to get to Mexico. They know someone there. I'm like, okay, that would work. I mean, if you can I, I don't know how extradition works in Mexico, but yeah. Yeah. Um But the cop knows that Clovis is in a bad way. Yeah. Eugene is just in the backseat crying. And and essentially like the chase comes to a very sad end. Uh, the car just stops or, or you know, like Clovis goes down a little embankment and kind of crashes it a little bit. And that scene where the cars are just jumping over the little mounds, I'm like, whoa, because it's like these cars are getting thrashed because it's not just one jump, you know, like you see in movies. It's several hills of like off-roading and regular old cars people are in these cars or maybe there's dummies or something there's certainly someone in the back seat and they're just bouncing all over uh i thought that was the whole movie is full of like some pretty cool car stunts it's like mad max light yeah you know like there's there's some cool Mm -hmm. car stuff you know through the whole thing maybe too much car stuff uh but anyhow okay so essentially bottom line clovis dies lugene gets arrested police officer walks away no one gets the baby. And, end of the movie. And and the, yeah, and it, the last, very last thing is uh, the captain coming saying they weren't gonna shoot anyone. You know, they weren't actually going to kill anyone. <laughs> I doubt one of them's dead. Someone that he's befriended on the trip, and then uh, it, credits roll. And the first credit 
I noticed was music by John Williams. Yeah, which I also want to talk about. So so uh, there's a little uh, card that comes up, too, that says Lou Jean gets five years in jail, oh, right. only serves five months. She gets out. She ends up back with the baby. You know, good job, them. The which end. is like, <sighs> after this, she's still able to get the baby back, right? Right, which leads to my number one question. Which is like, why not wait four months or even start the process before he gets out? It's crazy. She's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so I, I put together some questions that I want to ask you and and, and kind of just, just some talking points, I guess, about this movie. And the number one question that I have is, do you think the authorities were correct in their assessment that Lou Jean is an unfit mother? She did something that got her in jail. What was it like theft though? But if she's stealing to feed the baby, it kind of is like uh, it seemed like it was I, shoplifting I, or something like that, you know, like Yeah, basing it purely on the character. No, I don't think so. I think because parenting isn't just what she what is unfit parenting mean? Because I'm sure she screws up like we all do, but she clearly cares for the child and would do anything for them. They would probably grow up to be warped in some way, which we all kind of get, you know, I, I had really good parents, but I go to therapy and learn stuff about <laughs> things all the time. And when my son gets old enough, I'm like, son, you go to therapy and it's okay to find out that I messed up. So no, I don't, She's certainly irrational. She's impulsive and irrational. Like my my whole thing but with her is that's not a bad that, parent. No, it's not a bad parent. But she does she definitely does not think about the future. Like Lu yes, Jean lives in the moment for sure and the repercussions of her actions are never beyond way, not occurring yeah. to her like they're they're just not a factor at all in what she's doing. And uh I I I don't know like I guess I kind of fall on on your side of this in that I don't think she would be a like an unfit parent, but I do think that kid would be in for a life of chaos, <laughs> like living in yeah. Jean's house, you know. Yeah, but I, I I don't know. I think I don't think that the kid would be physically abused. No, I don't think no, they'd be no. emotionally neglected. No, absolutely um, not. And it. And because they're both in for some sort of, not petty crime, but theft of some sort, it's possible that they weren't making the money they needed and she's stealing food or he's stealing money to make rent. You know what I mean? Yeah, just and trying then to get that's by. how they lose their children. So I I, I would say no. Uh, I, I think that there are much worse parents in the world. And I think I don't think they would be emotionally or physically abusive. And I think really outside of that... I think you're probably doing doing okay. Yeah, yeah. you know, because like like I said, I think we all as parents kind of we're going to make mistakes and we're going to say things in the moment that you get therapy for. Um, like me personally, I I I'm sure there's things that if I told my mom, you said this one time, offhanded, didn't even think about it, and yet I just realized after you know 
years of therapy, how it affected something in the way I live my life. That's not a bad parent. That's just a human being. So I think I would say the just short answer, no. I think that. And also what the authorities consider unfit and what leadership in the country consider unfit doesn't necessarily match up with mine. You know, like. Well, I, I kind of was like, say? I, don't know. I was taken aback at these foster parents. Like the first time you see the baby, he's out on the front lawn exactly. with a dog by himself, completely untended to. Like these foster parents are are not exactly, you know, the greatest people. You and know. every time she specifically holds the baby. It screams. Yeah, like there's like a, a dad care or an old man, and the baby seems good. We're good here. But when you talk about unfair parenting, um, pageant moms, uh, not all of them, I don't know, but that whole, this is how you need to be, I think, you know, uh, that's worse than dealing with Lou Jean, who's a little loopy. Um you know, someone who uh, maybe you're, you know, I don't know, like maybe the, the kid grows up and they're gay and they get a parent who is not okay with that and tries to beat them down and send them to uh, what reprogramming, do you, what do they reprogramming camp, right, yeah. you know, and I'm, that's worse than having a loopy mom, you know, um, yeah. teaching them to be racist is worse than having a kooky mom who is impulsive and, and off the cuff. So I, I, and I think all of those things I could totally see this old lady doing, you know, like it, she fits into the, maybe the, the, the Bible belt Baptist idea of what good parenting looks like. Yeah. Speaking of the, the uh, Bible belt, I wanted to talk a little bit about Texas too, because Texas Texas is almost as much of a character in this movie as the characters oh. in this movie. And and yeah. Yeah, Texas is such a weird thing. Like even in our culture right now, I think I, the best term I can come up with it is like affectionate struggle. Like I affectionately struggle with Texas as an entity, you know, like I like Texas. I've been to Texas. I enjoy Texas, but Texas has its, in some ways, it's almost like a foreign country, you know, like, like it, it does. If ever there were to be a state that succeeded, it would be Texas. Succeeded. Yeah. It would be Texas. It would be Texas. Like they, they have a, a, and not everybody in Texas, I'm speaking in very broad generalities here. Absolutely. But there is a culture there that does feel somewhat separate from the rest of the United States in some ways. And, and so my question was in what ways do you think this film would have played differently had it not been written to take place in Texas? But I mean, that's, it's kind of, it's kind of putting you on the spot with things, but I just wanted to kind of bring, bring into focus the, the fact that like, you know, how much gun culture is a part of this film. Like there's, there's a scene where they're like taking everybody's guns off of them. The cops are, you know, yeah. like, like taking <laughs> like uh I forget what the context is. Maybe they're going into a town or something, but the cops are going through and just pulling everybody's guns off them. And everybody has like all these guns and things. Yeah. Um, um, 
gun culture is a funny thing for me because I know responsible gun owners. I, I personally don't own guns. Uh, I also sort of agree with the fact that the people who get shot the most are gun owners. Um, but at the same time, not not to get too uh, in the weeds on you know gun control. I think there's a balance. I don't think, uh, I think that's the big problem is that it's all or nothing, or both sides feel that it's all or nothing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You know I mean? Like I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we could really get into the weeds on this, but I'll, right. I'll just say trying not most to, people that I know as... who, who do advocate for gun control are, are still fairly middle of the road. Like I think the portrait of gun control people who want to take away everybody's guns is kind of a myth created. By the, I, you know, like I, I agree to, to, to a degree, I think there are a handful of people. Who I do. Are there much. are people at the, at the but, broad end so of the like, spectrum. There are some people right. there, but I do think well, most people we're down this rabbit there. hole. We are. We are. Tune, tune out now if 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 you don't want to hear about politics. It's totally fine. Uh, but I I would point to like Austria. So the big con of an open gun ownership thing is spree shootings. Right. That's the worst side effect. 100 percent yes in my opinion and there was a spree shooting in australia one and they changed their laws and there haven't been any since yeah how do you weigh what's worth it and what's not you know um and i i I get the we could get down other things i pray it, it doesn't ever happen on this podcast but you know there's another controversial topic where we talk about people's rights being taken away and where we fall on that. So I also am like of the mindset that I get where you also want to be able to have equal footing. I don't know, man. It, it's such a complex <laughs> and difficult problem. It, it, if it, you ask me the day after any spree shooting, I'm totally like, take them all away. You know, uh, I don't know if you practically can though. I I right. I I am not a gun guy. Um I'm not a hardcore anti-gun guy, but I have never purchased a gun in my life. I've never gone out of my way to to have a gun. Somehow, I have 6 guns in my house. They just came. Like people died and we got them and didn't know what to do wow. with them and now we have them. You know, uh my dad gifted me with one once and so I just took it apart. You know, but like guns are so prevalent in American culture. I don't I don't know how you could get rid of all of them. No, They're and I just don't think laying can. around everywhere, you know. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I, I I'll put it in the shortest way I can. What we're doing now is not working and is broken and it and continuing to do nothing is wrong. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you take everyone's guns away. Um, and that doesn't mean you arm everyone either, but what we are doing now is not working. And, um, you know, one Sandy hook is too many. 
Um, Absolutely. So. And I, you know, when I started talking about Texas, I, I didn't mean to go down that gun hole. That's just the first, <laughs> the first piece that came to mind is, is gun culture because it does seem to be prevalent there, but I'm sure I there also, are pro gun people and there are anti gun people yeah. everywhere. And then a lot of people that kind of fall in the middle. I'm definitely a moderate when it comes to that sort of thing. I think I would anger both sides if it, I was like, yeah, I know some really responsible gun owners. And I'm like, they have their rights. You know what I mean? If, if one person, does something wrong that doesn't necessarily mean it takes like if you know in canada they had the guy who drove a van through a bunch of people that doesn't mean i should lose my car you know right, right. like 10 10 something people died in that you know so that's a, a similar thing it's not as huge as like the vegas shooting but those car um, guys man though that is it's hideous when that happens it's just right and that's what and it's the it's like i should still have my right to have my car I'm a responsible owner, you know, but then there's also like, well, you have to register your car. I'm like, yeah, you also have to register to be a concealed carry. Like there's all like, it's a nuanced thing that we can't solve on this podcast about a movie. (laughs) (laughs) So I, but as far as like the culture is the movie different if it takes place at a difference, I totally think so. I watched another movie on, um, my other podcast called Hell or High Water, which takes place in Texas, and they rob a bank in a town. And when they leave the bank, all the locals are there and they are all armed. And I'm like, woo, you robbed the wrong town. And there's something about that in a utopia that I kind of is like, I'm I'm here for that's the it, you affectionate know, like, part. That's the affectionate part. Like, right. like that's why I say it's an affectionate struggle because you like there's a piece of you that's like yeah you know <laughs> like I, I I absolutely understand that and the whole the whole Texas thing with the Texas Rangers like there aren't Ohio Rangers you know but right. there are Texas Rangers and the good old boys and the fact that the the captain feels like a, a cowboy out of time basically you know like mm-hmm. there's peace officer. That's what they called Wyatt Earp, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> right. And the, the fact that all these people come out to support the outlaws, you know, it all feels just very Texas-y to me in in it, it, a lot of ways, in really good ways, you know, like, like yeah. you know, it's it's just was interesting, you know, and I wanted to kind of call it out that, that this film, if it were, you know, I don't know, the Nashville Express or you know, the Sacramento Express. <laughs> oh, if it took place in California, it'd be completely different. <laughs> it's a completely different, different yeah. movie. Yeah. Or Canada. Right. Yeah, come on. So did you think that this film was a comedy or a drama or or what? I I think it towed the line pretty well. I th- um I, I don't it was definitely a drama or a thriller. A thriller uh the tone, the tone seemed to be kind of a little all over the place, you know. Like it definitely had comedic yeah. moments. It started out feeling like I the first half of the movie, the I thought we were heading towards some Blues Brothers, you know. Like I kind of yeah. thought we were gonna the car smoking down the highway is very slapsticky. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's the one, the joke that maybe is the most out of place. I really liked the joke, you know. The uh, I've almost got them rehabilitated. I thought that was. That was a fun joke and maybe could be realistic, you know, like he at that point not feeling in any danger. So I kind of it didn't bother me like it didn't feel way off to me. The tone. Okay. 
but it did get serious at the end. But there's a moment when they're watching Looney Tunes where I know Clovis is doomed. That's I wanted to talk about that too. The Looney Tunes scene is one of the most artful scenes in the movie. It it kind of had me roll my eyes just to. T- I ha- I'm allergic to artsiness in movies, and uh, oh, on my other podcast, I recorded just the just the verbal beatdown on a super artsy movie. I it's a little on the yeah. nose. It's a little on the nose, and I know he's doomed at that moment. I'm like, Clovis is not going to make it because of they're watching the thing. Oh, I'll give you the sound effects, and he does the sound effects, and it's this very sweet moment he's doing for his lady. And then the camera slows down and you just see the reflection of the the cartoons in the window. And he's like, I guess, pensive in that moment. And you're like, oh, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. He's <laughs> just, watching he's, he's watching Wile E. Coyote fall off the cliff for the 900th time. And, and, uh, yeah. and yeah, I watched another movie where the main character got laid right before the big shootout. And I'm like, oh. He's doomed. Like it's just the <laughs> tropes, and and sure, and I've yet to be wrong. Right? Had he made it, I'd be like, oh, they got me. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so John, John Williams. Williams. That was the next one. Okay, first off, did the soundtrack at any point remind you of the Twelve Days of Christmas? I want to say, as you say that, I want to say maybe a bit. Like the the there's this harmonica line that repeats throughout the movie, and it goes, da, 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 and then it like goes off in some <laughs> other direction. Yeah, and uh, I, it was making me insane. And then I kind of thought, like maybe he's doing that on purpose. Yeah, like maybe he's referencing. The well, because John Williams, I think, is an undeniable genius. Absolutely. Um, as as Spielberg is heralded as one of the greatest directors of all time, I think John Williams is the hands down greatest movie composer. Period. Oh, uh, just unbelievable no work! Unbelievable work! Yeah, like his body of work is jaw dropping when you look at it. The scope of it, you know. That being said, nothing in this movie musically did anything for me whatsoever. Uh, so it's very early on. But of course, next week we get or next episode we get his first iconic piece. That at least from a Spielberg film, um, but in this movie it didn't do anything for me. Like I don't even know that I noticed anything. You know, there's none of those, like the Star Wars theme or the Indiana Jones. There's no theme that just kind of stands out as if you were to hear it, you know, in a grocery store going, "Oh, that's from that movie." There's none of that, except for the Twelve Days of Christmas, which. <laughs> But I would think of Christmas. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's interesting. It, I, I I had the same thing. When I saw John Williams' name pop up, I was kind of like, whoa. Like, that kind of surprises me a little bit. Um, because the only thing I, I had noticed about the music was that, you know, that kind of riff that was vaguely recognizable. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. And the, but the last the last thing I wanted to, to just kind of it was an observation I made the young kid in the shootout, you know, the dad brings the brother and, and mm-hmm. the Oh, kid. right. Yeah. He traumatized me a little bit. Like talk about needing therapy afterwards. Yeah. Well, he like he 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 was not ready for this. He was not ready for this. And he ends up kind of like cowering and hiding. And uh, it just kind of it instantly brought to mind uh, Upham from Saving Private Ryan. Like it's very similar, you know. We'll get to that. 
I haven't seen Saving Private Ryan since it was in theaters. Okay. Okay. So I don't want to. That will be. I don't want to get into. <laughs> that will be a recap for me. Just when you, when you're watching and and album goes into battle for the first time, kind of think mm-hmm. back to this kid. It just kind of seemed like a an earlier echo of something that would come out later in Spielberg's career. Oh, what's great par- uh, parallel here is we talk about unfit parents. There's one. Oh God, yeah. That guy is unfit, oh. you know, and he's still got his kid. Oh, they, you know what I mean? They ignore the kid. Would, they just take him there yeah. and they just ignore he's him. He's totally oblivious to the fact that his son is terrified. It, is rightly being permanently so, in traumatized. a shootout. <laughs> he, he's raised his other son to be totally fine murdering people. Yeah. I, I Yeah, that's your unfit parent. Compared to Goldie Hawn? Come on. Yeah, it's something. So over this is a hell of a movie. Overall, <laughs> overall, where do you come down on this? Like, like I really like this movie. I would totally watch it again if it came on again. I'd probably skip some of the parts, but there are parts that are things that I'm like their favorite. I really love the scene when they get up to the house, and he's like, "Go around again." I love the tension of him, Clovis, deciding whether or not to go. I I love the dangerous stunts. I think Goldie Hawn's great in this. I love the celebrity that they become. I think it's a great movie. It's a really strong movie. Yeah. I think, I think it's pretty good too. When I was first watching it, like there were moments and I kind of had a similar thing with duel where I was just like, Oh man, they are driving and they're driving and they're driving. And so I had, I had that kind of a little bit while it was on, but then afterwards when I started thinking through it and starting to kind of just process it and drawing out some of the themes and, and so on, uh, I started to appreciate it more for, for what it really was. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think I come down on the positive side on this too, maybe even, uh, the best so far. I think I would say that. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I, cause I'm thinking back, I'm like, duel's good. Uh, something evil not so great and then savage is fine but yeah this i think is definitely his his best film i think it emotionally uh, i left it with something to take away we've had some good conversations around it so i don't i don't think there's any denying that it, it's a good a good piece of art yeah I, I, I do think it'll be interesting to see the evolution next week or in two weeks when we when we get to jaws because it, like as good as this film is it's not an all-time classic I, and and I, I, we're I, about to hit just a bunch of them we're gonna run right smack dab into yeah <laughs> jaws close encounters I mean, indiana jones et it's like spielberg's so. <laughs> been throwing grenades and he's about to let off a yeah. nuke you know like yeah like it's it's unbelievable i'm just gonna come right out with it i've always called jaws my favorite movie of all time oh fantastic it's de- fantastic. it's debatable <laughs> Like sometimes other things creep, no, it's creep like up. Psycho for me, yeah, right. But but I it, it it's it's most consistently my favorite movie of all time. I've seen it, you know, a hundred times. I went and saw it at the theater a couple of years ago before the pandemic. You know, like like I really love it. Don't I don't know that I've ever sat down and watched. I think I have. Oh my god! Watched it all the way through. Oh my god! I can't recall, like. I know enough about it, and I've seen this. I think I've seen it all the way through in one sitting. I think. Oh. But I can't remember. Oh, I can't wait so, for this. <laughs> right. So it's like, but like you said, it was like with Psycho. It's my favorite movie of all time. But then when I ranked all of Hitchcock's movies, it came in third. You know, not because of a favorite of mine or anything. It was just if I'm if I'm being honest, then I'm letting, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Trying to be objective, it's probably not his best. But yeah, I'm excited. I mean, it's the first big one. Like this is the one that puts the man on the map. There's a reason that there's a shark on the cover art because this is it, right? This is where we really are going to start. It's going to pick up fast. Yeah, yeah, and it I think it represents a huge evolution, like a major step up in his filmmaking prowess too because sugarland express is as good as it was uh it's a little choppy at points there's some weird editing mm-hmm. moments in it you know and so on whereas jaws feels like a hundred percent like a polished hollywood prod you know like it even though they've had tons of production issues and you did you say was it the, the making of jaws you read the book on or something else oh yeah i've, I've read lots of books on the making of jaws and okay. watched documentaries and yeah okay. yeah i'm all listen to the podcast inside jaws i listen to that yeah i'm um, all in on it well, yeah okay well next week i think uh, you know here we go the we've you know when you're on a roller coaster and it's tick 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 and you're going up and now we're at the the apex and it's time for us to to have some fun uh so as far as if you want to learn more see more hear more from us you can check out the gaming nexus.com also uh the gaming nexus show wherever you get your podcast also check out eric's youtube channel all these links are in the description uh you can find him at eric at eric underscore hotter uh myself at podcast by jeff on twitter uh check out the the movie draft house for a much more angry version of this <laughs> and of course budget arcade i think that's all our stuff yeah that sounds good i think you covered it all right well we're gonna see you next week you're gonna watch jaws along with us right uh, yeah 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 absolutely everybody should everybody should yeah don't we'll see you next week bye y'all we're gonna need a bigger podcast huh how's that that's that that good that's good you did it okay all right <laughs>